Welcome to episode 131 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, everyone needs a favorite backpacking spot. And you know what makes it even better? If it's a top secret backpacking spot. On today's top five list, we'll break down our plans to make our off-grid backpacking Shangri-La even better. Then, a collapsible cookware set that takes up about a tenth of the space that a traditional set would. And we'll answer every backpacker's burning question about whether or not to bring your Snuggie on your next outdoor adventure. The answer is no. But we'll give you an equally good option on today's Backpack Hack of the Week. All this and so much more. No, all this and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. You had me scared there, going off script. If I overpromise and underdeliver, that's trouble. Yeah. Yeah, we gotta underpromise and overdeliver. Agreed. Or underpromise and underdeliver. I don't know. That's possible too. Possible. <laughs> well, every October, Josh and I make goals for our family, and when we first moved to Oregon, one of our goals was to do monthly hikes and just explore this whole area. But then the next year, we decided to do something a little bit different. So we started doing these quarterly backpacking trips. But then this year, we wanted to do something a little bit different. We realized that probably the biggest challenge to getting out on a backpacking trip overnight is the amount of time it takes, number one, to find a spot that's good, and number two, to get there in the car. And we thought, if we could solve those two problems, we might be able to get out backpacking more often. And so we set a goal last fall to find a top secret backpacking spot for our family. And the requirement was we were going to scout out the area and find a spot that we knew we could come back to over and over. And number two, we wanted it to be, well, about a half hour from home. We knew it might have to be a little further than that, but we were just trying to get as close to home as possible. And the, the nearest public lands around us are about a half hour away. We kind of scouted out the wooded area behind the grocery store near our house. <laughs> so, yeah, we wanted something um, more natural, less semi-trucks, more pine cones, that kind of thing. So as we drive west from our home, we start to get to a patchwork area of public lands. And the first land that you get to is BLM land. And when I say patchwork, there might be a square mile of BLM land, checkerboard pattern style with private land, and then eventually you get into a checkerboard between BLM and national forest, or you get up into state forest land. So we thought, well, a square mile, that's pretty good. You could have a trail inside of a square mile plot of BLM land that might be a mile long to get you into the middle of that land. So I went out with the boys one Saturday last fall, and we drove about a half hour on highways, or paved roads anyway, plus about 10 minutes or so on a gravel road, and got to this gated off, I wouldn't call it a road, 
you could probably get a Jeep up it. But anyway, it was gated off, and I don't think any vehicle had driven on it for years. So we parked the car right there and started hiking. And sure enough, we were on a trail that was about a mile long, and it got us into the middle of this one-mile square chunk of BLM land. And then on top of the trail being close to home and not behind a grocery store, we wanted it to be kind of our personal Shangri-La, you know, this place where we could go and it would be secluded and quiet and we'd have access to maybe a little bubbling brook so that we could get water and there'd be some variation in the texture of the land and uh, yeah, it would just be kind of our little, our family's secret backpacking spot. And we did find a nice camping area that was maybe just a couple hundred feet away from a stream. I don't know if that stream will be there in the summertime. Fall, winter, spring, especially this year, no problem. Plenty of water. So according to our original parameters for this secret backpacking spot, I think we did really well. We have water, we have a nice little trail that's fairly short and very close to home. There may be future opportunities for foraging. Um, We'll just, we'll see. We'll get to know the land. And because it's kind of our go-to spot, I feel like it's a place that we'll get to know really well. And that's kind of an exciting thought. I mean, typically we've kind of bounced around the state of Oregon and done backpacking trips all over, but this is going to give us a chance to really sink our roots into a spot, you know, still while leaving no trace, but we'll get to know this specific area really well. And I think that's going to provide some interesting benefits to our family. This is the backpacker's version of of owning a piece of a timeshare, <laughs> you, you know, your vacation home, right? except uh, we didn't have to buy anything. Right. And of course, if the water dries up, we'll have to bring our own water. So there are, you know, some amenities that are lacking. But right. No laundry service. No, uh, no room service or maid service, but free trees, free fresh air, all the rain that you can catch from the sky. <laughs> it's going to be great. And even though we don't own this land, I mean, even though the song says this land was made for you and me, it's not technically ours. We still have plans for this land. We still have things that we're going to do with our secret backpacking spot. So for today's top five list, we wanted to share the top five things that we're going to do with our secret backpacking spot. And number one is to navigate our way to a suitable campsite. And I feel like we've gotten a good start on this one. The end of the trail, conveniently, is a nice, fairly level spot where we could definitely have room to set up our tents. And also, the way the trees are spaced out, they'd be perfect for hammocks on a little bit of a hillside there as well. I think there's even enough open space between the trees to have a campfire. And like I mentioned, it's just a couple hundred feet past a stream that we can go back to to get water. The number two thing that we're going to do with our secret backpacking spot is clean up other people's fun. Remember episode 123, one of the things that we said we've learned recently is that BLM land is where it's at. If you live in the western U.S., BLM land is all over the place. It's easy to get to, very accessible and usable. And I feel like maybe we need to backpedal a little bit on that. 
Yeah, because the land is so accessible and it's free and there are very few restrictions, a lot of other people choose to have fun on this land and their idea of fun doesn't quite sync up with our idea of fun. So when we first found this secret backpacking spot, we found some pretty disturbing stuff. We found an entire deer carcass. We found bullet casings all over the place, beer bottles all over, broken glass, junk food wrappers. It's, it's kind of the trash of an unrefined life. And it's the kind of trash that people, once they make it, they leave it. And it kind of leads to the area becoming more and more abused. You've heard of the broken window theory, Josh? Yeah. So the people that came up with this, uh, James Wilson and George Kelling, they introduced this theory uh, back in the 80s. And here's a quote from an article that they wrote. They said, Consider a building with a few broken windows. If the windows are not repaired, the tendency is for vandals to break a few more windows. Eventually, they may break into the building, and if it's unoccupied, perhaps become squatters or light fires inside. Or consider a pavement. Some litter accumulates. Soon, more litter accumulates. Eventually, people start leaving bags of refuse from takeout restaurants there, or even break into cars. And what we saw at our BLM secret spot fits this theory really well. Most of the trash is right there by the road at, I guess, what you would call the trailhead of this trail. The deer carcass was literally right next to our car where we parked. You open the door and there's a deer carcass greeting you. And you parked. So I opened my door and I could step right on the deer carcass. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> You're welcome. That was So step over the deer carcass, and that's where you get to step on all the shotgun shell casings, the beer cans and bottles, all of that trash. It was, for the most part, within 100 feet or 200 feet of the trailhead. But here's the thing. It's like the window on a building. It's what you see first. And it's what our kids saw first. We have one kid who doesn't want to go backpacking in that spot solely because of the garbage at the trailhead. And I had the same feeling when Josh took me there the first time when I opened up the door and saw this deer, an entire deer at my feet. I just did not have high expectations for the rest of the trail. And it kind of left me with a just a bad feeling. So one of our plans for our secret backpacking spot is to clean up other people's fun. Because if we can get it cleaned up, then I think the people who like to make messes like that will feel maybe a little out of place or they'll think twice about coming there to do their, quote, fun (laughs) activities. And we have to clean it up. We may even have to clean it up without one of our kids because he just does not want to go there with that mess there. But we've got to get it cleaned up because I think that's going to make the difference in convincing him to come back and actually try spending the night at this place. The number three thing we're going to do with our secret backpacking spot is explore for more. I think after we've camped in the same spot a few times, it'll be time to branch out a little bit. You know, once we've kind of become comfortable with the trail and have built that cognitive map in our head, 
then we'll be able to find something, you know, a little more challenging further down the trail. The number four thing we're going to do with our top secret backpacking spot is collect data. Because I'm just a guy who manages data collection systems for <laughs> a living, so why not? <laughs> no, we want to collect a GPS track so we'll know exactly where our trail goes. It's not like we're likely to get lost on this trail. It's very easy to follow. But we'll collect a GPS track and we'll know exactly how long it is and what the elevation is. And it would also be fun to get some history on the area. I, I'm not sure where to start on that, but it'd just be cool to see, you know, who's been there in the past? Uh, what has this land been used for in the past? I think another thing that we could do to get data on it would be to document the plants and the minerals that we find in that area and really get to know, you know, like I was talking about before, sinking our roots in and maybe catalog the area. The geology, the flora, the fauna, that stuff is the stuff that you don't even notice if you're just simply out for a hike. You can walk through a mile of wilderness and hardly notice, I'd say, the vast majority of the stuff that you just walked through and passed. Like a fern is a fern is a fern kind of thing. You're right. like, oh, there's just one fern out there. When maybe there could be 25 different varieties that you walk past and you don't even know it. And how many varieties of trees and how many different birds were making different songs that you just kind of, you perceive them as oh, I hear birds chirping instead of, oh, I hear this kind of bird and this kind and this kind and right. this kind. Ooh, this is getting me so excited. <laughs> well, the number five thing that we've decided to do with our secret backpacking spot is not keep it stealth. What? We're going to tell, we're going to tell some people about it. And I think this is maybe one of the main goals of our show is to help people become introduced to backpacking. And so it makes 100% sense to invite some friends with us. It's not fun to have a secret camp spot unless you can share the secret with someone else. That's true. And if our friends are new to backpacking, then this is a great way for them to get introduced to it because they only need to drive a half hour from home if they're friends who live where we live anyway, <laughs> and only a half hour and they're there, they're on the trail starting to hike, and then only a mile or so and they're at camp and can set up camp and really relax and figure out how you cook dinner and how you get water and all of those first-timer things. That there'd be plenty of time for it. So we're really excited that this BLM land is available to us and we know it's a bit of a fixer-upper, but we're really excited about the opportunities that it's going to provide our family and our friends and anyone else who wants to use that land. For today's Summit Gear Review, we will be reviewing the Sea to Summit X-Set 32. If backpackers have one complaint about traditional backpacking cookware, it's that it takes so much room in your backpack. And of course, we all try to nest things together as much as we can, but even that can get a little bit out of control when you're trying to find things. You know, like, where's my wool hat and long sleeve shirt? Oh yeah, I put them in my cooking pot. <laughs> so the stove and the lighter wouldn't rattle around with the fuel canister. So we do these kind of funny things with our gear to make it all so compact. But the Cedar Summit X set is a compact cooking set. So you can bring a big pot on a backpacking trip to cook a big meal. 
Cedar Summit has created a cook set that makes it so it's not going to take up the same space as a traditional big pot. The Sea to Summit X Set 32 is a set of cookware. There is a collapsible one liter teapot, a collapsible two liter pot, and an eight inch skillet or frying pan. And the X Set 32 is just one of the X sets that Sea to Summit has in the X line. The entire line of Sea to Summit X products is collapsible silicone dinnerware or cookware. So you can buy other sets or buy just the individual pieces. The cool thing is that the bottom of both the kettle and the pot, well, and the pan, the frying pan, are all hard anodized aluminum. And it's a thick enough aluminum that you can feel like you can actually put it on a stove and use it to cook dinner. It's not the super thin stuff. And then the sides of the kettle and the pot are collapsible silicone. It's really cool. It's just accordion style. You just pop it up. And now you've got this huge two liter pot that took no space at all in your pack. The Sea to Summit Xset 32 collapses down completely and nests inside of each other. So the teapot nests inside of the two liter pot which collapses down and nests inside of the frying pan. So the set is extremely compact and any one of the pieces of this set can be used on their own or purchased on their own. One of the features of the two liter pot is that the lid has a built-in strainer so you can strain your pasta. One of the things that I like about the frying pan is that typically frying pans have those long handles that get in the way. But this frying pan has short silicone handles on both sides that fold underneath when they're not in use. And then when you want to use them, you just pop them up. So it's really convenient. The handles on the X-Pot are kind of a soft, flexible silicone. And then the teapot has handles that are a little bit harder plastic and they fold up. And so you can hold the teapot like a teapot. Like a teapot. <laughs> yep. As far as mass goes, all three of these pieces together weigh 29 ounces. And when they all nest together, they end up being not much bigger than the frying pan itself. It's just an, an ingenious design where they all come together perfectly and fit together perfectly. In fact, they fit together so well that the handles on the two liter pot fold over and keep the lid of the pot in place during storage. And then the silicone is a little bit grippy, and so the pot stays really snugly inside of the frying pan. So the weight, 29 ounces. When I pick up the entire cook set, it feels kind of heavy to me, and I think it's because it's so compact. And so you have to remember, I'm picking up three pieces of cookware here. An 8-inch frying pan, a 2-liter pot, and a 1-liter kettle. With two lids. Yeah, so there's a lot in there. And on any particular trip, you may only bring one of those items and it will be, in that case, very lightweight and still very compact. That's so cool. So I, I don't know. That was interesting to me because I thought, wow, this feels kind of heavy, almost two pounds, but there's a lot in there. Yeah, and on our recent trip that we took, we had seven people with us, and we ended up using all three pieces because we were all cooking dinner at the same time, and we'd all brought different dinners to cook. So everything was being used, and it was really nice to have this, you know, whole bunch of cookware that all fit down into my pack. 
Or was it your pack? I can't remember who packed it. <laughs> I packed it in, you packed it out. <laughs> okay. For maintenance, the Cedar Summit X-Set cookware is intended to be used with a small camping stove, like a pocket rocket, that style, you know, the butane or white gas stoves. The reason for this is because the sides are silicone, so putting it on a campfire would not be good. The campfire flames are going to come up around the sides and probably get the silicone too hot. Even an alcohol stove or a wood-burning stove could potentially damage the silicone sides or handles of the X-Set cookware. So keep it on a gas camp stove. For investment, this entire set, which includes the frying pan, the two-liter pot, the lid with the strainer for the two-liter pot, the teapot, and the lid for the teapot is $140. However, each piece can be purchased separately. For trial, is it okay if I explain the meal that I prepped for this? Oh, please do, because it was legendary. All right, so we were visiting an Asian grocery store over the winter, and I found powdered coconut milk. And I thought, ooh, this would be great to make a backpacking meal. So I bought a couple packages of this powdered coconut milk, and immediately I was thinking, curry. So when we got ready for this trip to Tillamook Head that we took a few weeks ago, I packed the coconut milk powder along with curry powder, some freeze-dried peas, um, a package that I had found at Trader Joe's of broccoli that had been... Deep fried. Deep fried or something. Yeah. yeah. So the water was replaced with oil, I guess. So it was kind of like dehydrated cooked broccoli. And we had some mushrooms in the fridge, so I threw some of those in, and then a little bit of salt. And this was all going to go over some instant brown rice. So the Cedar Summit X set worked perfectly for my meal. I cooked the rice in the kettle. I just had to get the water up to boiling, put in the rice, and then I just took it off and sat it to the side and it did its thing. And while it was sitting to the side, then I put the big pot on the stove, mixed in the coconut milk powder, the curry powder, the salt, the veggies uh, with some water, and got that heated up. And as soon as that got up to boiling, that was done. And I had some amazing curry over rice. It, it was great. It was a great dinner, but you know what? It was also a great breakfast because I had it the next morning for <laughs> breakfast. It was that good. We just had a little bit left. And what I did instead of, you know, scraping dinner from the night before into another little container, I just compressed the sides of the silicone teapot and the silicone two liter pot all the way down. There's maybe a half inch of food left in there, and I use that as the storage container. And I put the lids on, and I put it inside of our food bag, and we hung it uh, from the roof of the shelter. Perfect. And cleanup was easy. Nothing sticks to the silicone, which is great. And the hard anodized aluminum surface, it almost seems nonstick. Right. We just didn't have any problems with it. We didn't have problems with burning and crusty stuff in the middle. We kept the camp stove flame down pretty low unless we were just simply boiling water. Um, but it just it seemed really easy to clean. Yeah, the hard anodized aluminum is completely different from you know, like the cheap aluminum cook sets, which just warp like crazy and stuff ends up sticking and burning. So the hard anodized aluminum was a absolute pleasure to cook with. So the Cedar Summit X-Set 32 really was a great 
option for compact cooking, especially if you want to do more than just reheating a freeze-dried dinner. If you want to do a little more cooking on the trail and you're looking for something that is compact and has great design features and is fully functional, the Sea to Summit XSET32 is a great option. For today's backpack hack of the week, a DIY Snuggy fleece. Uh, wait, what's a Snuggy again? <laughs> snuggy. It's a blanket that has arms, but you wear it in front of you. So if you're going to be doing one of those notorious, no, I don't want to say notorious, <laughs> but I do want to say notorious Netflix marathons where uh-huh. you just sit for hours and you don't get up. You put on one of these Snuggies and then you're just kind of able to sit all day. Uh, So you're covered by the blanket, but you still have your hands available to control the remote. Yes. So we've kind of tweaked this idea for backpacking because there are some times where you want to keep your fleece on. But because you have a backpack on your back, your back is getting kind of hot and sweaty from the pack. But... The front of you is cold from the wind and the weather. So we've adapted the idea of the Snuggie for backpacking. So what you do is you take off your fleece jacket and then you can put your pack back on and then you put your fleece jacket on the front of you. So you put your arms through it just like you would a Snuggie. Then you don't have that extra material on your back. Your back can breathe and then the front of you can still be nice and toasty. Nice. Okay. So wear your fleece backwards. Just wear it backwards. I know. That's, it's a simple solution, but it's a great idea for if you just want to stay warm, but you don't want to have that sweaty back. And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Edwin Way Teal. And this is from Autumn Across America from 1950. He said, time and space, time to be alone space to move about, these may well become the greatest scarcities of tomorrow. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you've been on a backpacking trip, share your story at thefirst40miles.com slash story. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. As close as home to possible. Close as home to possible? (laughs) But we were just trying to get as close as... (laughs) (laughs) But we were just trying to get as close as home... (laughs) (laughs) Okay. To home. As possible. So we're really excited that this be a lamb... 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 Bam! 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 Bam land!